Hello, I'm Chloe Veltman and this is NPR's Book of the Day podcast. Donovan X. Ramsey's non-fiction book, When Crack Was King, A People's History of a Misunderstood Era, looks at how the crack cocaine epidemic of the 1980s and early 90s impacted communities across the United States, especially low-income black communities. The book is hard-hitting, but it is also very human. It tells the stories of individuals who lived in neighbourhoods ravaged by the drug. Ramsey isn't an apologist for drug dealers, but as the author tells NPR's Aisha Roscoe, neither were they super-predator kingpins. This message comes from NPR sponsor Sun & Ski Sports. They're celebrating National Bike Month in May with a big giveaway. Enter in-store to win a Cannondale Trail mountain bike or online to win a Haro Flightline 1 mountain bike. Cycling isn't just transportation. It's a boost for physical and mental health. Join them for Bike to Work Week from May 13th to 19th. Make every ride count this National Bike Month. Gear up at Sun and Ski Sports, where adventure begins. Visit sunandski.com. One of Donovan X. Ramsey's earliest childhood memories was of Michelle from down the street. Every night as I was falling asleep, she would start, you know, her activity, and that consisted of playing loud music. She loved If Only You Knew by Patti LaBelle, and she would play it on a loop. And um, and I felt connected to her. And I, you know, came to, to understand as I got older that she was dealing with addiction, that she was a crack addict. Decades later, he's written a book called When Crack Was King, A People's History of a Misunderstood Era. It's a work of nonfiction told through the eyes of several people, including an addict, a drug dealer, and a politician. He begins the book by describing the lives of the people before crack cocaine hit their neighborhoods. That was super important to me as somebody whose community was impacted by this, as a, you know, a Black person, as a Black journalist, because our lives are often treated as though they have no context and no meaning. So being a child of the 80s, I was born in 1987, I have never existed in a world where crack did not exist. And I desperately wanted to know what my community was like before crack. I have to say, I was really struck by the story of Sean because Sean grew up in the exact same projects in Newark as my dad and his family. So hearing the story of crack in Newark was extremely close to home for me. But tell me about Sean because he he got involved in another side of the crack epidemic when she became a dealer. Yeah. Shaw McCray, you know, born in the early 70s, he uh, grows up in the projects, right? And he's a part of what people don't realize, an incredible community in the projects that you can't, you know, stack hundreds of people on top of each other and not create a community. He ended up, despite having a very promising academic career and getting a scholarship to play basketball all through Catholic school and into college, he was still drawn into that street life because of his connection to his community. And also because as a young man growing up in the 80s, he had such a desire for more. And crack was this incredible opportunity for guys like him to make some real money. So, you know, I liken Sean to young white men who went West during the gold rush that he was doing something incredibly risky, and I think many would say dangerous and stupid, but because it gave him a possibility for something that he wouldn't have otherwise. 
I feel like what you capture with Sean was something that I think that a lot of people don't fully understand, which is like for him to have really left, he would have really had to leave his community. It was really important for me with Sean to kind of pull back the veil of the super predator myth. Hillary Clinton very infamously, you know, is on camera giving a speech about how young Black men that were selling drugs were super predators who, quote, needed to be brought to heel. And the truth about Sean is that he was just an average kid who saw a way out. And anybody that's come from tough neighborhood like I did, like like Sean did, like many Black folks in America do, that you are told that your goal should be to get out of your neighborhood. And no one that makes that your goal ever accounts for the isolation, the loneliness yeah. of having to be mm-hmm. the only one, being the first yeah. one in every room that you go in for the rest of your life. And he wanted to stay connected to his friends. Most drug dealers were not kingpins. They were making enough money to, to buy a car, to pay their mom's rent. And that was Sean's position. And I think that, you know, that's not to excuse the fact that he was selling poison, something that he uh, grappled with, but those were the options available to him. When you think about the crack epidemic, the way that it hit, particularly Black neighborhoods, like it's, it's difficult to even like wrap your head around. How do you count the cost of that? You know, it is, um, I think, nearly impossible to even measure the devastation When you think about all that our cities could have been and all that our communities could have been had it not been for crack. But I think that despite of our inability to measure crack's impact, there are some clear things that that we owe the people who survived it as a way of trying to repair the damage that that we can measure, like sentencing disparity between crack and powder cocaine that still exists, despite the fact that those substances are chemically identical, that they're the same substance. We owe it to the folks that lost so much to end that. We owe it to those folks to end mandatory minimum sentences. We also owe it to those people to fight back against the the fear and the shame that created a space for drug abuse and addiction in the first place, but that also created a space for a completely draconian response. Do you think that much has changed since then? We're currently in the middle of another drug epidemic with opioids and fentanyl. And if so, do you think it's because the nature of this epidemic is so different? If I can be completely frank. <laughs> yes, there yeah, please. There's a lot more compassion for opioid addicts now because the face of opioid addiction is white folks in the middle of the country. I think that's just, that that's just true that the average American feels much closer to that addict than they did to the crack addict. And the shame of of it is that addiction is addiction. And also that because we refuse to have compassion for crack addicts, we missed an opportunity to fix the problem. Right, that people who are struggling with opioid addiction now and don't have the services and resources they need in place don't have them because we didn't have a public health response to crack. Because all that we created was this huge dragnet that we applied across communities of color 
So now white folks are getting caught up in that dragnet. And now everybody thinks, okay, we got to do something about this. And, and I hope that we do because wrong is wrong and right is right. Do you feel like the lessons of the crack epidemic have really been fully learned? No, they haven't. Just because there might be more compassion for uh, drug users and drug addicts doesn't mean that we're smarter about policy solutions. It doesn't mean that we are more diligent, right, about sticking to what we know is right, that that fear and that shame can always come in and confuse people. What I see is this reinvigoration of the culture wars that villainizes and criminalizes the most vulnerable people. That's Donovan X. Ramsey, the author of When Crack Was King. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. The right agent can make or break your home search. That's why Homes.com provides an agent directory that details each agent's experience so you can find the right one and ultimately the right home. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. 